welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Well, uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. If you remember uh, from the end of um, verse 6, where we're at uh, last week, Paul transitions from uh, talking about uh, the role of God the Father in our blessings to talking about the role of Jesus Christ in our blessings. And uh, Let's look at that passage again, beginning in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. <clears throat> the Afrikaans and uh, first in the khalifta well you can see in the uh, in the afrikaans <clears throat> that the word uh, is is not the same word the word blessed uh, that we have there in english is not the same word as in uh, verse 3 uh, where he talks about our blessing our spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Here in verse 6, it's a, it's a verbal form of the word grace. And so you could, you could say that God has literally graced us with grace uh, as he talks about what we have in Christ. And there's only one other time where this verbal form is used of grace in the New Testament. And that's found in Luke chapter 1 where Gabriel the angel came to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Remember that, remember that passage. And so he's talking about this special grace or blessing that um, Mary had received to become the, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with all believers, we are blessed. We are graced with grace in the Beloved. And you'll notice there that Paul is referring to Christ in our text as the beloved. Uh, this is now the ninth time in this few verses that he's referred to Jesus Christ. And now he <clears throat> refers to him as the beloved. And indeed, he is the, the beloved of the Father. And this is a, a point that's made through the Gospels, through Christ's ministry. You'll, you'll remember Christ or God the Father himself announces that Jesus is his beloved son. And that happened at the baptism of Christ. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then the same kind of thing happened again at the transfiguration where the Father announces, this is my beloved son. And we have other emphasis on that relationship between the, the Father and the Son. Uh, we saw last time in the text about our adoption that we were declared to be sons of God. 
but, but our sonship is different from the sonship of Christ. He, he is the eternal Son of God. And uh, in Hebrews, he's uh, described this way in the, in the opening of that letter. It says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is God. He's the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. And so Paul is emphasizing this relationship as a, a loved or a beloved son. Uh, Colossians 1.13, he does a very similar, makes a very similar statement where he says, He has d- delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Well, <clears throat> the main thought that I want us to focus on this morning, and that is that in and through the beloved of the Father, we have redemption. This, this wonderful truth of redemption in the beloved. And in fact, it's because that believers are in the beloved that we too are beloved of the Father. In our, in our, back in our text, if you continue on into verse 7, he says, in Him, referring back to the beloved, Christ, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. This is one of the, the great verses in the Scriptures. And I think it's safe to say that, that our redemption is, is the greatest uh, and most glorious work of God. Uh, it, when you talk about great works of God, you, you naturally think about creation. And in the, in the creation, we, we see His great power and wisdom and glory on demonstration. And, and even now, after the, curse, after the fall and the curse, we still see the, the glory of God and the power of God in His creation. And yet all that it required of Him to create was a word. He, he spoke and it came into existence. And the work of redemption also displays the great power of God and the, the wisdom of God and the glory of His grace. And yet, it came at a, a cost. And, and you think about all that God did to pave a way for our redemption, the coming of Christ, and eventually His death, the death of His beloved Son. And so it, it required a great deal to accomplish this work of God in redemption. Well, let's think about the, the meaning of this word, redemption. Um, redemption or verlossing, Afrikaans, is, is simply to set free by means of a payment. And, and there's two, you uh, say, groupings of, of Greek words that are used to describe uh, redemption. Uh, first of all, agorazo is a word that simply means to, to buy uh, in the market, and, and thinking specifically of the slave market uh, in that day, and so to buy. And then you have, you, you have addition to that word, ex-agarazo, it means to buy out of the market, and, 
And there the emphasis is on the set free. Uh, we, we see this word used in, in uh, Galatians chapter 3, in verse 13, where it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And, and so what he means by this the, the being purchased or redeemed from the curse of the law, the law condemns us because we can't keep it. Uh, we're, we're judged and condemned. We're bound, bound under this curse. And Christ has purchased us to redeemed us out of that bondage, out of that slavery. Uh, he does a similar thing in Galatians 4. We looked at last time, verses 4 and 5, where he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Well, there's another grouping of, of words from luo, which uh, means to loose or set free. Uh, litron is a, a noun that means to release upon a payment of, of a ransom. And you have uh, other related words here like uh, latrosis and apolatrosis. Apolatrosis is really like a strengthened form of, of this word. And, and it's the word that we have in our text back in, in Ephesians chapter 1, this apolatrosis means the paying of a ransom in order to release or to set free a person who's in bondage. And the image there is in bondage to slavery. Uh, this word would have, uh, these words, the idea of, of redemption would have, would have carried a, a great deal of meaning to the people of that day. Um, by some accounts, there was as much as 60 million slaves in the, in the Roman Empire at that time. And so no doubt, the people that Paul's writing to knew firsthand about this redemption out of slavery, to be purchased out of, out of, uh, out of the bondage of slavery. And some of them may have been purchased and set free, or they at least knew someone, a relative or a friend, that had been set free out of, out of the bondage of slavery. Spiritually speaking, this is what the Lord does for us in Christ. His sacrificial death on the cross paid the redemption price to purchase us out of the bondage of sin and death and set us free. Not just free to be free, but free to belong to Him. And uh, Titus makes a point of that in chapter 2 and verse 14. He says, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness. Another way of speaking of our, our sins. He's redeemed us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. You see there the emphasis on the fact that we now belong to Him. He has purchased us, redeemed us for Himself to belong to Him, to live for Him. Paul would say to the the Corinthians, that, uh, that you're bought with a price. You no, long, no longer belong to yourselves to do as you please. You're bought with a price. Glorify God then in your body. And so we, we see this, this emphasis of redemption. Well, I want us to, to notice the cost of our redemption. In our text, verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. Uh, Peter, Peter will make this emphasis as well. He says, you were 
ransom from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You think about it, why does the the scriptures talk so much about blood when referring to the death of Christ on the cross? You know, Paul could have said in that text in verse 7, back in in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, he said, he could have said, in him we have redemption through his death, but he emphasizes the blood. And we see it right through uh, the writings, specifically to the churches, letters, um, in the New Testament, this emphasis on blood. And it comes out of the Old Testament as well. We see it there in, in the offerings and the, the system. And so, This emphasis on blood is to remind us that Christ's death was not just any death, but a a sacrificial death, a substitutionary death in fulfillment of prophecy and God's plan of redemption that was typified through the Old Testament sacrificial system. You see it uh, there in the offerings that were made and provided and that these offerings were given to the the children of Israel, the people of that time, to atone, to make atonement for sin, for sooning. And the the basic idea of of atonement is a a covering of sin uh, so that there could be a a reconciliation between God and man, uh, the the removal of of the guilt of sin. And it it was temporary, uh, scripture makes that clear, especially when we get to the New Testament, the emphasis upon the, the permanent nature, the eternal forgiveness, the removal of sins. And with the sacrifice of animals, it was uh, temporary. And even, even on the Day of Atonement, that uh, was like the culmination of the, of the sacrificial system. And it, it was a, a very high and holy ceremony offerings that were made to atone for the sins of the previous year. Everything that, that hadn't been atoned for. Sins that were not even uh, realized. Just like today, we, we often sin, we don't even know that we're offending God. There's some of, most of the time we do know we're sinning, but sometimes, often there's sins that, that's um, unintentional. And so for the children of Israel, there was this day of atonement, to make atonement, to make uh, the covering so that the, the guilt of those sins would be covered or atoned for. And so offering was, was made by the high priest and for his family. And then another offering was made for the people. And, and the blood of these animals were, they were taken into this the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the mercy seat. This, this covering of the, of the Ark of Covenant the, the place of atonement, Afrikaans, the pursuing dexel. And we, we have in the, the Day of Atonement these two goats that uh, were brought before the Lord, which would represent two aspects of the atonement that was being made and that would ultimately be fulfilled in Christ. The, the first goat was a, well, both goats were, were, were substitutionary in nature. They 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 bore the sins of the people. The priest would, would take his hands and put on the head of the goat, representing that this 
goat now is bearing the sins of the people. The sins of the people are being put upon this animal. And the first goat would be killed, be sacrificed as, a, as an atonement offering, a payment for the sins of the people. And, and the second goat, which was called a scapegoat, he, he would also bear the sins of the people, but he wouldn't be killed. He would be taken out of the camp, out into the wilderness, far as they could take him and with the hope that he wouldn't come back because he's taking away. He's representing the, the removal of sin. He's taking away the sin of the people. And um, can you imagine the job of taking that goat into the wilderness? You've got to find a place maybe that the goat wants to be and doesn't want to come back. <laughs> I can imagine the goat like a dog following you right back to the camp. <laughs> And, and how would that be? Later on, here comes your sins back. <laughs> and, and it really does speak to the temporary nature of the sacrificial system of animals. But when the Lord Jesus Christ came, He fulfilled all the types, the prophecies of the Old Testament. And by the shedding of His own blood, He took the sins of the world upon Himself and became the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins so that God would be propitiated. And here's a, a couple of words that uh, you need to be familiar with that uh, come out of this uh, reality. The expiation, the forgiveness or removal of sin. It's pictured by this scapegoat that's taken, taken away from the people. And propitiation is the, is the satisfying of God's wrath. Because the sins were propiti- uh, expiated, because they were removed then God is satisfied with that offering that the second lamb or the first lamb or goat represented. Life was given. And so God's wrath against sin was satisfied. His righteous judgment was satisfied. And so Christ fulfills both of these by His death. Our sins are removed, taken away, not just for a year, but for all eternity. And because our sins are expitiated, then God is propitiated. In Christ, Christ Himself is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction uh, to the Father, the Father's holiness, God's holiness, God Himself is propitiated in the offering of Christ. Hebrews 9 and 10 describes this work of Christ in offering Himself for us and how that it fulfills the typology of the, of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Uh, notice there in verse 12 of chapter 9, talking about Christ, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So that you and I, as those who are redeemed, we, we put us in Christ. We're in Him. We're His sons. We, we don't have to worry that later our sins are going to return in the sense that our guilt is going to come back upon us. At some point when we stand before God, God's going to bring condemnation upon us because of our sin. Because when Christ died, He died for all our sins. An eternal redemption for us. Uh, let's think about this. 
than the result of our redemption. We, we could uh, think about many wonderful things that are accomplished in our redemption. But the, the one and the immediate result is the forgiveness of our sins. And that's what, that's what Paul emphasizes in verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Someone has said that Christ was lifted up on the cross so that we might be lifted out of our sins. In the um, Expositor's Bible Commentary, uh, we have this note that is uh, interesting. When talking about the word forgiveness here in, in Ephesians 1.7, they say it literally means a sending away. It thus speaks of the removal of our sin from us so that there are no longer barriers that separate us from God, end of quote. And that really does take us back in our minds to the scapegoat, doesn't it? That was taken away. And that, that whole imagery of our sins being taken away from us was anticipation of Christ who would permanently take our sins away, would be forgiven. See, when, when God forgives us, he, he doesn't just put it in the back of his mind to bring up later. <laughs> no, it's removed. It's removed. And scriptures talk about as far as the east is from the west and in the depths of the sea. These are ways of describing infinity, that which can't be measured, that which is beyond return. He also uses the word trespasses here, literally false steps. It's just another way of referring to our sins. Our sins Trespasses are forgiven. Paul would say it in Colossians 1, 13 and 14 this way. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this redemption is something that we have. It's not just something that we will receive in the future, although we will receive the completion of our redemption in the future, but it's already a present reality for us as believers. We have it. If you're in Christ, you have a, a relationship with Him, then His substitutionary work on the cross for you, in your place, set you free. You are free in Him, purchased out of the bondage to sin and death and forgiven now and for eternity. See, when, when Christ died, he died for sins past, present, and future. When we put our faith and trust in Christ and Him, that was applied to us. That forgiveness, that redemption was put to our uh, account. And in reality, the, the, the very, Bible says the very righteousness of Christ was put to our account. And so what a, what a wonderful truth this is. And it raises the question, no doubt, in some minds, and, and, it, and I've heard it many times, uh, if, if our sins are forgiven, are eternally forgiven, why then do we need to continue to confess our sin? And I was talking to, to someone not so long ago that had um, really gone away from the Scripture because of this point, or in part because of this point, and that is that if, our, if Christ's death was a penal substitutionary death, in other words, if He paid the penalty for our sins, then the Scripture wouldn't command us to confess our sins on a continual basis. We wouldn't need to continue to, to, to confess sins. And so what has happened, there's been a mixing of, 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 of truths in Scripture here. 
You see, the, the continued forgiveness that we need is for cleansing. But we don't need the continued forgiveness for remission or, or redemption of sins. That, the redemption is, is a once and for, for all, as we read there in Hebrews chapter 9, described, it is an eternal forgiveness, eternal redemption. But as we, because we're still here on the earth, we still have these, uh, the flesh that we contend with, we, we continue to sin, and we continue to need forgiveness. Ongoing, continual confession of sin, cleansing from our sin. And that cleansing is for our ongoing communion and fellowship with the Father. It's not, it's not a continual forgiveness to maintain our sonship. The sonship is something that's permanent. The redemption is permanent. But the walk, the daily, we, we talk about sanctification of halach mocking, that the living of our lives is something that needs to be kept clean. And because we, we sin, we, we are commanded to confess our sins. And, and we're promised in John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And so what a, what a wonderful truth that is. Romans 8 and verse 1, we have the very clear declaration, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can't say it any clearer than that, can you? No condemnation. It means that when we stand before God, there's no condemnation because our sins have been forgiven, been taken away. And only that, in place of our sins, we stand clothed now in the righteousness of Christ that has been put to our account. Such is the grace of God and the nature of our redemption. I read about a a missionary in West Africa and uh, he was trying to, to uh, communicate the meaning of redemption in the Bambra language, which is evidently very common in that western, western part of West Af- Northwest Africa. And after explaining what he meant to this, this national who was helping with, with the language uh, translation, and uh, he, he, the, the national man told him, he said, this is the way we say it. Talking about redemption, this is the way we say it. He said, God took our heads out. <laughs> doesn't sound very, uh, doesn't sound like redemption, does it? God took our heads out. And the missionary was perplexed about, you know, how does that mean redemption? And so the man told him that many years ago, his, some of his ancestors had been taken captive by the slave traders. And they were chained together and driven to the seacoast. And on the way, they would pass through these villages and they had these, they were, they were chained together and they had these big metal collars around their necks. And as they would pass through a village, a chief or someone that had money might offer to purchase someone. It was a friend or, or someone, maybe a relative. And they would offer gold or ivory or silver or something of value that uh, the slave traders would sell and release that prisoner in payment. And so, thus the, the term, he, he, he took, took our heads out, out of those collars, the removal of those collars. And this, this represented the redemption. And Paul would say, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus died on the cross to purchase 
your freedom, my freedom from the bondage of sin. If you put your faith and trust in Him as your Redeemer, uh, then He's taken your head out of the enslaving collar of sin, condemnation, your sin, and death. We're going we're gonna to sing uh, the hymn of Charles Wesley, And Can It Be? And I want you to notice in, in the second verse, um, this poetic language that he uses to describe our redemption. I'll read it for you. He says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. And in that he's, he, he's uh, speaking of the, um, the illuminating and convicting power of God in his word, by, in the spirit of God, on the heart of man who is in this darkness. This sin. And he goes on to say, I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Let's sing together.